Welcome to Financial Matters with Richard Oring. I am John Jagge. Rich, good to be with you. Jack, it's always good to be here. Today we're talking year-end tax planning, many things you should consider for tax planning, but today in this podcast, we're talking about tax harvesting. Where do we start? Well, first off, I can't believe it's like middle of October already <laughs> and the end of the year tax planning we already started. Yeah, yeah. This year went so quick. So I guess one of the good things is the market's down, so there's plenty of losses you can harvest this year. I mean, that's not really great, but there's plenty of opportunities for tax planning with those losses, though. Right. So it may seem on the surface like a down market could be a bad thing, but there's definitely lots of opportunities here. You know, it's a bad thing, but let's take advantage of the tax code and see if you can save some money. What strategies do we start with? I'll, I'll leave it to you, Rich, and point me in the right direction here. You know, I think um, every single podcast over the last couple ones we did, I usually say, guess we got to start with terminology. Yeah, that's a good place to start. Because if I just start talking, we're not going to understand. So let's go over the basics. And this is not just great for tax harvesting, but this is stuff you should know. Mm-hmm. First thing is cost basis. Most people already know cost basis is what you purchased it for. But a lot of times you might have what we call a drip program, dividend reinvestment program, Okay, where when you have dividends or capital gains, it gets repurchased, more shares. Reinvested, yeah, okay. Yep, reinvested. So if you have a stock and you bought it for $1,000 and it paid $100 in dividends, your new cost basis actually is 1100 Because it went right back in. Okay, got it. Well, you paid tax on that $100. Mm-hmm. So it's like they paid it and you sent it right back. Okay. And, you know, that's a good reminder to talk about. We're talking about taxable accounts for tax harvesting. Mm-hmm. IRAs doesn't count. These are your investment accounts outside your what we call qualified accounts, your 401ks, your IRAs, and so forth. Got it. Okay. It's a point of differentiation. Yep. So cost basis, purchase amount, and then any dividend and capital gain reinvestment. Okay, so if you took the dividends and capital gains in cash and didn't buy additional shares, then it would just be your purchase amount. Okay. Okay. Now let's get into capital gains. Capital gains. So real simple, capital gains in general is the difference between proceeds, that's what you sell it for, minus your cost basis. That's capital gains. It could be a loss or it could be a gain. So if you bought it for $1,000, if you sold it for 1100 your capital gain would be 100 If you sold it for 900 your capital gain would be, your capital loss would in that case would be 100 That's correct. Now that's pretty simple to understand. I mean, we're talking about individual stock ownership, you know, when we're talking probably broadly right now, mm-hmm. but let's look at mutual funds. A lot of stuff goes into those. Yep. So a mutual fund is a pooled investment of many, many, many shareholders. And some of the gains have been embedded in that mutual fund for many, many years, and you may not have participated in them. But near the end of the year, they will issue an estimated capital gains report. It'll show the capital gains, the dividends, interest. It's really, really important to look at those. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of clients last year when they filed their tax return, they had a lot of big surprises when they got the capital gains reports from the mutual fund companies. These were gains they may not have necessarily known about because they were embedded within it. Correct. Correct. It's very simple. You buy a stock, you hold it, you can see what you bought it for. But a mutual fund, you have no idea what those embedded gains are. The other thing is mutual funds don't pass the losses. They hold them for future years to offset gains. So you don't get to take advantage of the losses. You only are hurt on the gains. That's correct. Hopefully you got to participate in those gains. Hopefully, yeah. All right, let's talk long-term capital gains. Okay, so long-term capital gains is any investment which you held for over a year. And when we're talking about long-term gains and short-term gains or losses, we're talking about standard investments like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, so REITs and so forth. But when you're dealing with like collectibles, 
they're going to have a different tax rate. So we're only talking about the standard investments where you find in a, like a brokerage account or a Vanguard or, you know, any of these institutions you're familiar with. Sure. Okay. So long-term gain rates, the investment has been held for over a year. Simple. So in our scenario before we had a thousand dollars, we bought that three years ago and every year it pays $25 in dividends, which we reinvest. That very last dividend will probably be considered a short-term gain or loss because it wasn't held for a year. Okay. So it's each of those purchases have their own time period of holding. Got it. Okay. How do the tax brackets here work? Now, long-term gain rates, we always say are preferred tax rates. They're not subject to ordinate income rates like your income or what we're going to talk about soon is the short-term gains but they have preferred tax brackets. If you're in a very low tax bracket, it might be zero. Okay. The average person is at 15%. Mm-hmm. And then for those who are high earners, it could be as high as 20%. The best thing to do is there's a table, you go to the IRS website, look up your tax filing, single married, head of household, and your income, and they'll show you where you're going to fall in. Okay, so that covers the long-term capital gains. A moment ago, Rich, you alluded to short-term capital gains. Um, those are in sale from investments held for a year or less. How does that play out? Sure. So like we said, you bought the investment and you sold it within one year. Okay. Ordinary income. So it's dependent on your marginal tax rate at the time. Marginal tax rate is if you were to earn another dollar, that's what your tax rate would be. So you're taking your taxable amount of social security, if you're on it, or your W-2 income, your Schedule C, whatever all your income sources are, that's going to create your... um, tax bracket. You know, when you do all the calculation on your 1040s and so forth, that's the tax rate it's going to be at. So usually for most people, that's going to be a higher tax bracket than 15%. So I want to make sure I I understand this because what you're kind of helping me piece together here is the government would like you to invest for longer term. And that's why the long-term capital gains have those preferred tax brackets or tax rates. But the short-term capital gains, they're just going to be taxed at the same rate as you're going to be at for your regular income. I really don't know if the federal government really wants you to pay a lower tax bracket for gains, I'm sure they want their tax revenue. Maybe you're right. Maybe they did that incentive so people wouldn't become day traders. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I don't know. I mean, you're asking me a question. I really don't know the reason, but that would be my only logical thought why. But otherwise, I'm sure the government would love for you to pay at a higher tax bracket. All right. So Rich, that covers the gain side of things. Let's flip the script and go over to the losses side of things. Talk to me about capital losses. All right, so there's some basics you need to know. Again, we know it's proceeds minus cost basis, your initial purchase, dividends, capital gains, interest reinvested. If there's a loss, you can take your losses to offset any realized gains. So let's go with this. Let's say you took $30,000 in gains of a particular stock and you have another stock with $10,000 in losses. You take the 30 minus the 10, you have $20,000 now in gains. So now you're only taxable on that 20000 instead of the thirty. Correct. So short-term gains and losses offset each other. Long-term will offset each other mm-hmm. for gains and losses. If you use one completely, meaning all the losses, and there's no other gains to offset, then you can use the remaining for the other category. So let's go with long-term gains and losses. Let's just say we used all our losses and we still have another 10000 left. We haven't been able to use. But there's $5,000 in short-term gains. We could take 5000 of that long-term loss 
and offset that short-term gain of 5,000. Okay, so in a baseball analogy here, you start off uh, staying in the American League or the National League when it comes to short-term or long-term, but if you do have extra losses that don't have gains to offset them, you can go interleague there at that point. That's correct. That's correct. Now it gets even better. Okay. Let's go with a more extreme loss. Let's just say at the end of the day, offsetting everything, you have a $30,000 loss. Mm -hmm. The IRS allows you to take a maximum of $3,000 loss on your return. Okay. And that saves you, because that saving, that 3000 is off ordinary income. It's above the line. It's above the line. That's correct. So that's kind of nice. If you have, like I said, the 30000 what you would do is you would report 3000 as a loss on your return. The other 27000 carries over for future years. No matter what you have for gains in those future years, this loss, once you max it out for the year, you can stagger it over the following years. As long as you're alive. And if you don't have the gains, you can always take another 3,000. So let's say next year, there's no gains. You have 27,000 carryovers. You're going to take 3,000 on your return. And then you're going to have 24,000 in carryovers for the next year. All right. So the next topic is something we've hit on in previous episodes, Rich, but it's relevant to our conversation here. And that is the wash rule. Talk to me about how that applies here. Yeah, the wash rule, it's really important to understand. If you sell a stock for a loss... You cannot take the loss if you repurchase it within 30 days. Mm -hmm. Most people think it's about the same stock, though. It's something which is really, really, really close is identical. So if I was to sell maybe the Vanguard S&P 500 for a loss, and then I went to go buy the iShares S&P 500, that's pretty much identical. Okay. All right. So that would not be allowed. So if you sell a stock and buy it back within the first 30 days, that loss will be disallowed. Here's another thing most people don't know. There are special rules. It's not just for that one particular account you own. That rule goes across all accounts. So if you think you're going to be clever and say, I'm going to sell for a loss in this one account, and then I'm going to go buy it in another account, not going to work. I see the IRS man shaking his finger at you. Uh, 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 it doesn't work that way. Okay. And then if you're really, really clever and you think you're going to outsmart the IRS, there's option strategies you might be thinking you're going to utilize to buy it at the current price and still take the loss. The IRS is smart enough to know that there's certain option contracts if you purchase will disallow that loss and become a wash rule. As a general rule of thumb, do not try to outsmart the IRS. That's correct. So this is for 30 days. You can't repurchase a very similar account to the one that you sold at a loss. Uh, and on the 31st day, that all changes, right? That's correct. You can buy it right back. Hopefully it'll go up by then. <laughs> well, hope it goes up after you buy it back, not before. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> okay. All right. So that kind of talks about capital gains and losses and the wash rule. And that sets a good foundation for us here, Rich. Let's transition over to tax harvesting and explain to the listeners and to me, honestly, how this piece of it works. Sure. We pretty much almost kind of explained it just through the definitions. Mm -hmm. You know what? Let's recap the benefits. What's tax harvesting? We're offsetting capital gains, right? Yeah. If there's losses in the account, we're capturing the losses to offset gains for that year or for future gains. Mm -hmm. If we don't have any gains, we're going to offset and we just have losses, we're reducing our ordinary income by $3,000. Right. The carryover, unlimited for future years. As an advisor, this is what I hear 
the very common comments from clients, it, it drives me crazy sometimes. <laughs> Rich, I bought this mutual fund, you know, like 10 years ago, and it's down from its high. I agree with you. The mutual fund probably should be sold, but I want to wait till at least it gets back to that high. Buy low, sell high. Well, not in this case. Don't get married to your holdings. Ah, okay. What was good 10 years ago may not be good today. Sure. Maybe that mutual fund manager you originally started with, maybe the manager left that fund, retired, and there's new managers. Maybe the economy isn't calling for that type of investment. Look at this year. We're, you know, we're in 2022. This was not the year of the NASDAQ so far. Right. Or at the same time, you might have an emotional connection to a certain company. And I'm not recommending or not recommending this company, but I'll use Peloton as an example if I can. Peloton was doing very, very well in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic when everybody was home and looking to exercise. Uh, they've had some issues with their company and their stock price lately. They're not the same company in 2022 that they were in 2020. That's correct. And that's one of the particular stocks I do follow religiously just because I like their story. <laughs> so you mentioned what I really like. You know, the other thing I find people married to their stock is from an inheritance, from their parents or something. Oh, yeah. You have no idea that I have clients sometimes coming to me with a half a million dollars up to a million dollars of one holding. Wow. And it makes up like 90% of their net worth. Literally, their eggs in one basket. Yeah. It takes me a while when they're mostly attached to it to try to unwind it you know, for diversification. Maybe it's not the right category to be in, the sector to be in right now. But a lot of people get emotional to holdings they inherit. And that makes sense. If it was a stock that your dad or your mom really liked and you want, you know, it's, it's a memory you have connected with them, that makes a lot of sense. And this is something we've talked about in previous episodes, Rich, and that part of your job is to be amateur psychologist. You have got to separate people from the emotion of their money and help them look at it objectively, where you can see their money objectively in a way that your clients can't. I always say my job is to manage clients' expectations. Mm -hmm. The hard part is when their expectations are unrealistic <laughs> or dangerous in risk, that I have to work with them to create new expectations and goals and so forth with their accounts. Got it. Okay. The other thing to consider is, you know, mutual funds. Remember earlier I mentioned that you really don't know what the embedded gains are? Mm -hmm. So sometime maybe end of October, November, December, a lot of them will issue their estimated earnings reports, like how much capital gains, dividends, and interest is going to get paid out. Now, you would think they would just email this to you or mail it to you. A lot of times you have to take the initiative to go find it on their website. Okay, good to know. You should look for that because if you're going to have a year of big capital gains distributions and you have losses and other holdings, it might be the year to, to offset the two and tax harvesting would help you there. Got it. Okay. So let's look at the other side of it. Um, there are some cons to tax harvesting too. We'd be remiss if we didn't cover this piece of it. Yeah, I always say every strategy or investment always has pros and cons. You got to weigh out the two, mm -hmm. make an educated decision. So I'm glad you're bringing up the cons. I guess the first thing is the wash rule. Yeah. You know, especially this year, you see a lot of people who decide to start investing their own money. They don't get disciplined in holding the positions long enough. I'll give you an example. Like sometimes I will buy a stock three weeks before the earnings report. Hmm. So there might be volatility in those three weeks because some people are speculating it's going to go down, the earnings, and some are going to hope for a surprise earnings. Okay. You know, like this week, right now it's October 13th of 2022. Pepsi came out with surprise earnings this week. It was great. That was a position we utilized in our port, still in our portfolio a couple of weeks ago. So like I said, like if you were looking at Pepsi from the time I bought it before the earnings release, it might've been volatile but I bought it knowing that something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So 
the wash rule. If you're going to be emotionally attached and buying and selling constantly, you know, looking at the losses and then saying, oh my God, I got to get and There's a better opportunity. You got to keep track on the wash rules. If you're going to be buying back that same stock, trying to time it Oof, yeah, or something, you know, a lot of people go back to their losses eventually. They sell something, but they still believe in it. Back to the emotion of it. Yeah. Remember, this is not for your IRAs. It's got to be for your taxable accounts. Mm-hmm. You also have to understand what assets. So again, we mentioned earlier that we're talking about investments, you know, like stocks, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds, and so forth. We're not talking about currencies, like, you know, precious coins. We're not talking about artwork because the IRS has a special tax um, rate for collectibles. Got it. The other thing is if we're selling for a loss and we're buying something at a low, our new cost basis will be low. Mm -hmm. So you have to take that in consideration. There are strategies where you can sell things for a loss and then purposely sell things which have a gain, which then would create the one with the gain, a new cost basis, you know, lower and the two would all set. So there are some strategies, you know, I would talk to your accountant about that to see if that makes sense or a financial planner. For sure. But the one downside I would say is whenever you're making the new purchase, it's a low cost basis, but hopefully you're investing in something you believe, which is going to have a good return overall. And you wouldn't mind paying the capital gains, hopefully long-term too. Rich, I know you mentioned day trading and short-term trades and, you know, there are apps on your phone. You can do whatever you want to do now and buy and sell to your heart's content. There's a real inherent risk in that, right? Yep. Well, first off is making sure that you're not getting hit with the wash rule. Yep. You want to make sure you're not getting hitting with all these little ticket charges and so forth. Mm -hmm. You need to keep track of your gains and losses a lot more carefully because those gains are going to be taxed at a higher rate. And I'm going to say if you're excessively trading, keeping your emotions in that decision-making, you may want to step back and just slow down a little bit (laughs) and be careful, especially in, in these times. So Jack, I said this in the beginning, you know, this has been a crazy year. One of the positive things you can, I guess, come out with it. Nobody wants to sell losses and lose money in a market like this. So part of what I'm saying is a little being sarcastic, but take advantage of the tax harvesting. Yeah. You know, there might be a lot of it. If you don't understand it, go online, research it, call your accountant. If you're using TurboTax, I'm sure their website has information on tax harvesting. You should understand what you're doing before doing it. So understand it and take advantage of it if it makes sense for you. All right. As we start to wind down the year here, you really think about utilizing professionals in your life and folks that you know. If you have a problem with your knee, you go see a knee specialist. If you have a problem with uh, your plumbing, you go call a plumber. And in that same vein, you want to talk to somebody who's an expert. If you want to talk about planning for your financial future, retirement, taxes, tax loss, harvesting, anything related to money, Rich is your guy. If people want to come find you at New Century Financial Group, Rich, how do they best reach you? Sure. First off, I'm a phone person. Give me a call. 609-924-2049, extension 126. You can always go to www.ncfg.com. And on that website, there's a place where you can schedule a call, a Zoom meeting. You can come to my office. You can always shoot me an email, r-o-r-i-n-g at ncfg.com. And Jag, you know, I love what you said about seeking professional advice. My friends will always say to me, wow, this got to be a really, really tough year for you. Mm-hmm. And what they're saying to me is because the market's down. Sure. When you do financial planning and you have a reputation out there, you actually get more business on down years from referrals or people who realize they can't do it themselves. That actually makes sense. Okay, yeah. 
So I get hit on two sides. I get hit with clients who they just need to hear me say my thoughts on the market mm-hmm. and what I think is going to happen. And that will give them ease. Then there's other phone calls I get from clients who it doesn't matter if you're a Trump or Biden fan or whatever. I will hear that Biden is awesome or sucks and Trump sucks or is awesome. And I got to <laughs> deal with those calls all day because one of them is to blame for the market we are in today. Always, always, always. And then there's the third one where people want help. Yeah. So you get bombarded on two different sides. Well, I mean, it certainly speaks to your reputation that people are coming to you when they're seeing the volatility we've experienced in the market. Always a pleasure, Rich. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Jack. Richard Waring's branch office is 1 Airport Place, Princeton, New Jersey, 08540. The branch phone number is 609-924-2049. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor not affiliated with Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. New Century Financial Group, LLC, and Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. does not offer tax advice or tax services. Please consult your tax specialist for individual advice. We make no specific comments or recommendations on any tax-related details.